everybody outside gather to worship God together. Truly, if you are visiting with us, we want you to know that you are our honored guest, and we hope that we have an opportunity to meet you uh, after the service and, and make you feel welcome. One announcement that I was asked to make, and that's concerning the father-daughter retreat. If you've not signed up for that, it will be uh, later this month. I believe the dates are March 26th through March 28th. And so if you haven't signed up for that, that would be an awesome time for, for fathers and daughters to spend a weekend together uh, with each other and studying God's Word together. Oftentimes we sing the song that we just sang, This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. And what I'd like for us to do tonight is, is look into God's Word and see that God's Word teaches the fact that this world truly is not our home. It's not our permanent abode. And with that knowledge, then look and see, since this world is not our home, how should that affect our attitude and our actions while we're here in this world? If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter is where we'll begin tonight. Throughout this book, Peter reminds the Christians that they are strangers and pilgrims in this world. In fact, if you look, 1 Peter chapter 1, the very first verse, he addresses the, the, the Christians. He says, to the strangers scattered throughout. The American Standard Version uh, reads, to the elect who are sojourners of the dispersion. Now, that doesn't mean a lot to us, but that word dispersion refers to the Jews of times past when they had been taken into exile, either through Babylonian captivity or Assyrian captivity or others. And it's the idea that these are individuals who've been taken out of their home and they're now living in a foreign land. First Peter chapter 2, verse 11, he refers to them again as strangers and pilgrims. The word strangers there in other scriptures in the Bible is translated foreigners. And again, it's the idea that this world is not our home. A foreigner is one who's living in a foreign land without the rights of citizenship. And so what Peter is telling the, the Christians of the first century and applies to us today is that we are living in a land where we are not citizens of this land. If you think about it, this is not a new concept for God's people. In fact, if you look over at Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11, we know that as the, the hall of faith. All the faithful that died faithful to God, many of the faithful are listed in Hebrews chapter 11. Look what it says about them in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. It said, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on this earth. You see, those that died faithful in the Lord realized this world was not their home. It says they realized they were strangers and pilgrims while on this earth. Someone may say, okay, well, if we're foreigners here, if we're strangers here, where is our citizenship? We have to be citizens somewhere. Look over to Ephesians chapter 2. 
Ephesians 2, verse 19, it kind of takes the converse of this idea of, of strangers and pilgrims because it says, Now therefore, talking to Christians, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the household of God. You see, what he's saying here is, when you were living in the world, you were strangers and pilgrims from God's family. But now that you've become Christians, you're taken out of the world and put into the kingdom, the family of God. Colossians 1, verse 12 and 13, tells us that it is God that takes us out of the world and puts us into His kingdom. Look what it says, "...giving thanks to the Father which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. You see, when we become a Christian, when we the gospel, we're no longer citizens of the world. Because God takes us from being a citizen of the world, and He moves us into being citizens of His kingdom. So then one may say, well, okay, this world's not my home. I'm a citizen of God's kingdom, but where is my home then? Where is, what is the home that I'm longing to be in? Look over uh, Philippians 3, verse 20. It says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from whence we also look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So you see, when we sing the song, This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. It's not just an idea that some writer came up with. It's a, a, a biblical teaching that tells us we are not at home here. This world is not our home. Our citizenship is in heaven. And as such, it requires that we live a life here in order to have that home in the hereafter. You know, that's what we long for as Christians is to be home. That's what we long for as mortals. How often has it been that you've been away from home for an extended period of time, either on a business trip or, or a family uh, gathering, and you just couldn't wait to get back home, back with the, the ones that you love, back with the, the, the environment that you're accustomed to? That's the way we are with our heavenly home. We should desire, we should long to be home. You remember what Jesus said in John chapter 14? He said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. You see, Christ has gone to prepare that home for us, so that one day we can be with him, and that's where our longing should be, is with the Lord. So now that we see that it is a scriptural principle, it is a Bible principle, that this world is not our home, knowing that, the question then becomes, how should that affect us? How should that change us? I'd like for us to look very quickly at three ways that this should affect us as Christians. First, I'd like for us to look at how it affects our attitude towards the blessings and the things that we have here in this life. Secondly, I'd like for us to look at the way it should affect our behavior and our attitude 
in this world. And then thirdly, I'd like for us to look at the brevity of this life and then the life hereafter. You know, as we think of all that God has provided for us, all the blessings that he continually showers upon us, I believe any of us, if we were to take an honest assessment of our life, we would say we have been richly blessed. We live in a country that God has richly blessed. We are individuals that God has richly blessed. Whether the blessings be our family, our friends, our close relationships, whether they be our our jobs, our health, our possessions. Friends, we have plenty of food to eat. We have warm houses to go to tonight. We have transportation that will take us anywhere we want to go. We have clothes to wear. God truly has blessed us. Oftentimes we sing, count your blessings, name them one by one. And when we do that, when we do take an accounting of the blessings God has given us, we realize that he truly has blessed us richly. James 1 verse 17 tells us that every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above, down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. See, we need to realize that these blessings come from God. He's the one that showers these blessings down on us. I'm not suggesting to you tonight that we should feel guilty for the blessings God has put on us, has has given us, has blessed us with. Not at all. But I would caution each one of us to realize that there's a danger in living a blessed life. And you say, well, that sounds strange. It's kind of an oxymoron, but it's true. There's a danger in living a blessed life. And it's not just a danger that's new to us or to our generation. It's a danger that was way back even in the Old Testament. Look with me, if you will, at Deuteronomy chapter 31. Deuteronomy chapter 31, the setting here is the children of Israel are about to cross over the Jordan into the promised land. And do you remember what Moses told them? Do you remember what their, their, uh, the warning was that God gave through Moses? In Deuteronomy 31, they're about to cross over. And, and in verse 2, Moses reminds them that he's getting very old. And that he's not going to be able to cross over the Jordan as God, God told him. He wasn't going to be able to go into the promised land. And Moses, being the compassionate leader that he was, begins to encourage the people. In verses 3 through 6 of Deuteronomy 31, first he says, The Lord your God, He will go before you. He's giving them encouragement as they're about to go across. Verse 6, he tells them, Be strong and be of good courage and fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, it is He that doth go with thee. He will not fail you. He will not forsake you. And then later in the chapter, God tells Moses about a danger that the children of Israel were going to face. Oh, it wasn't a physical danger because God had already told them, I'll go before them. I'll fight their battles for them. It wasn't a physical danger. Friends, it was a spiritual danger. And to help them to to remember this danger, God instructs Moses to write a song. And to teach the song to the children of Israel. Look at verse 19 and 20. God's telling Moses, Now therefore write ye this song for you, and teach it to the children of Israel. Put it in their mouths, that this song may be a witness for me against the children of Israel. Okay, Lord, but what is the song supposed to say? What, 
What kind of song is it supposed to be? Look at verse 20. For when I shall have brought them into the land, which I swear to their fathers, a land that flowed with milk and honey, and they shall have eaten and filled themselves and waxen fat, then they will turn to other gods and serve them and provoke me and break my covenant. You see, the danger God was trying to get across to the children of Israel that lied before them was when you have everything you want, when you're comfortable in your life, the danger is of forgetting God. This wasn't the first time that God had given this warning. This is the time when God told Moses to put it in a song so they could take it with them. But if you look back at Deuteronomy chapter 8, Deuteronomy chapter 8, God is telling them this same thing. The first part of Deuteronomy chapter 8, the first few verses, God's reminding them how that he was the one that led them out of Egypt and sustained them. He gave them the manna, he said in verse 3. In verse 4, he told them he made it to where their clothes, their raiment would not wax old. Their clothes lasted for 40 years. Neither did their feet swell for 40 years marching around in the, in the wilderness. And then he says in verse 6, Moses says in verse 6, Thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in His ways and fear Him. There's the admonition. Verse 7 through 10, he tells them, God's going to bring you into this good land, this land that He's promised to you. He said, For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains. Verse 8 says, A land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates. Uh, Verse 9 says, Where thou shalt eat bread without scarceness. But then there's a danger. The danger is in verse 11. Because he says, Beware that you forget not the Lord your God in not keeping His commandments and His judgments and His statutes, which I command you this day. Lest when you have eaten and are full, you will build goodly houses and dwell therein, and your herds and your flocks will multiply, your silver and your gold will multiply, all that you have will be multiplied, then your heart will be lifted up and you'll forget the Lord, which brought you out of the land of Egypt and from the house of bondage. Verse 17, he says, And you'll say in your heart, My power and my might has gotten me the things I have. We read that story and we think, How in the world could the children of Israel fall away from God? After all He had done for them, after everything that He had given them, the way He had blessed them. And then we have to step back and say, Friends, how do I look at my possessions? How do you look at your possessions? The house you'll go home to tonight. The car that will drive you there. Do you look at it and say, Yeah, I worked awful hard to get this. You know, I went to school, got me a good job. You know, I've worked hard. Anything I want, I work extra. I would work extra at work to to get what I want. Do we think it's by our might and by our hand that we have the things we have? If we do, we're like the children of Israel and we're in danger of falling away from God. I'm not saying you didn't work for the things you have, but we need to realize that it's God who gives us the power. God who gives us the opportunities. It's God who blesses us 
with the things we need to provide for ourselves and for our families. In fact, look what God says our attitude should be in verse 18 of Deuteronomy 31. He says, But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is He that giveth thee power to get wealth. It's God that gives us the power to have the things that we have. So if God is the one that gives us these blessings, we see in, saw in James chapter 1, and there's nothing wrong with enjoying the blessings that God gives us, what should our attitude towards these blessings be? If you will, look at 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, John tells us, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You see, God blesses us with so many tremendous blessings, but he tells us, don't have a lustful desire for these things in the world. Don't love the world. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 6, 24. Jesus said, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. John says, love not the world. Jesus says, you can't love the world and love God too. We can't love both. God gives us the blessings, but they're not things that we should have such a desire for, such a, such a love for, that it gets in our way of our relationship with Him. And if we go back to John, 1 John chapter 2, it tells us why it'd be foolish to love the things of the world. Look what it says in verse 17. It says, The world passes away in the lust thereof, but the he that doeth the will of the Father abideth forever. Everything you see around us one day will pass away. All the wealth of the world, all the riches of the world, all the pleasure of the world will one day pass away. And it's our soul that abides forever. Jesus again said it like this in Matthew 16, verse 26. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Now think about that. Everything in this world is going to be dissolved in the end time. Everything here is going to be gone. If you could pile up all the riches of the world, is that worth more than your soul? No. No, all those riches will be burned up. And yet your soul is going to live on through eternity. So we see that this world is not our home. And since this world is not our home, it should affect the way we look at God's blessings. Look over at 1 Peter 2, verse 11 and 12. This is where we, one of the verses we started with. To look and see how Peter addressed them as strangers and pilgrims. But the second thing I'd like for us to look at in this lesson is not only do we, number one, does it affect the way we look at the blessings God gives us, but number two, it should affect the way we conduct ourselves, our behavior, and our attitude in the world. You see, Peter referred to them as pilgrims and, and 
uh, strangers in verse 11. But look at why he referred to them that way. He said, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may be made by your good works, which they behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. You see what Peter's saying there? He's addressing them as strangers and pilgrims. But why is he doing that? Because he's saying, you're in a world, but you shouldn't act like the world. When any of us travel to another country, whether it be on business or, or vacation or whatever, do you realize the way that we act, the attitudes that we give, that's not just a reflection on us individually. That's a reflection on America. Because people see that and think, oh, well, all Americans must be like that. The same is true of our spiritual home. When we're out in the world, the way we act, the way we conduct ourselves, the attitudes that we have towards others, it's not just a reflection of me. If I'm professing to be a Christian, to be a citizen of heaven, it's a reflection on the church and it's a reflection on our Lord. That's why Peter's saying, you're pilgrims and you're strangers here. So you need to act like where you come from. Don't do the things the world does. A good example of an individual who lived this in his life. We could look at many through the, through the Bible. But one that just comes to mind would be Moses. Look back again at Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. We know the story of Moses, how that when he was an infant, uh, the Pharaoh had decreed that all the male Israelite boys should be killed. His parents hid him and then uh, Pharaoh's daughter found him and took him in as her own and he was raised up in the palace as Pharaoh's daughter. Look at Hebrews chapter 11 verse 23 through 25. It says, By faith Moses when he was born was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. You see, Moses realized this world was not his home. If this world had been his home, he had everything he wanted. He had the whole riches of Egypt at his disposal. And yet scripture tells us he chose to suffer rather than enjoy the riches of Egypt. And we say, Moses, why? Why would you do that? And Moses would say, because I knew there was a greater reward waiting for me in the hereafter. Look at verse 26. That's pretty much what he says says, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Now look at this. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. The New King James says he looked towards the reward. The actual meaning of this is he looked intently towards the reward. Moses, why? Why did you leave all the riches of Egypt? Because I knew there was a greater reward in the hereafter. 
the riches of Egypt, they couldn't compare to what God had in store for him. We say, how? Well, how could you do that, Moses? And he would say, because I knew there was a God greater than all the gods of Egypt. That's what the next verse tells us. Because look, it says 27. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. That's neat the way it describes God as him who is invisible. You think about it, Moses grew up in Egypt. Egypt had many gods, small g, and all of them were idols that you could see. But Moses knew that there was one true God. He was the invisible God, but he was the God that was faithful. So we say, Moses, how could you leave all that? He said, because I know there was a God that was faithful. Moses is a tremendous example for us. So we see since this world is not our home, number one, it changes the way we look at the blessings and the things we have in this world. Number two, it changes the way we conduct ourselves in this world. But number three, I'd like for us to look at the brevity of this life. You know, when you say this world is not my home, that implies that at some point, this is going to be over. If this ain't home, home is somewhere else, and there's going to be a point where we will leave this and go to a better home. David makes this point for us, King David, in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. In fact, David makes all three points of the sermon in these three verses. Look at uh, 1 Chronicles 29, verse 13 through 15. David says, Now therefore, our God, we thank you, and we praise your glorious name. But who am I, and what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? For all things come of thee, and of thine own have we given thee. For we are strangers before thee and sojourners, as were our fathers. Our days on the earth are as a shadow, and there is none abiding. I know that's kind of wordy, but look at what, Mo, what David is saying here. David understood and had the right attitude towards the blessings God had given him. Did you see what he said? He said, all things come from thee. David realized that every blessing he had was a blessing from God. All the wealth he had in his kingdom was a blessing from God. But then look what he said after that. And of your own have we given thee. It's not just that everything I have is a blessing from God. Everything I have is God's. And when I give back to God, I'm merely giving back what is already His. How do we look at the way, the things that we give to God? Whether it be our our money, our time, whatever. How do we look at that? Is it mine? I'm going to hoard, this is, this is mine, but I'll give this much to God. David says, Lord, I know everything is yours. And when I give back to you, I'm just giving back to you what's already yours. I know you've entrusted me with this. And so by me giving it back, is just giving back what is already yours. David understood and had the right attitude about the blessings in this life. Secondly, through this, we see that David 
understood this world was not his home. You see there he said, We are strangers before thee and sojourners, as were all our fathers. This world ain't our home. David knew that. And finally we see that David understood the brevity of life. Look what he said. He said, Our days on the earth are as a shadow, and there is none abiding. No one lives on. All of our days are as a shadow. James asked the question in James chapter 4, verse 14. James says, what is your life? And then he answers it. He says, it's even as a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. When was the last time you boiled some water on the stove? How high did that vapor get off that pan before it disappeared? James says, that's what our life is like. It's here for just a little while. And then it's gone. Friends, when we realize that this world is not our home, when we realize that that requires me to look at my things differently, it requires me to look at my actions differently, and it requires me to keep an eye on the hereafter because this life is short, that should change everything about my life. That should make me serious about my commitment to the Lord. JP did a wonderful job this morning talking about using our gifts. We should use our gifts, and this should give us all the more motivation to use our gifts because life is short, and there's a reward waiting for us if we're faithful in this life. People say, what will heaven be like? Our home that you talk about, the citizenship we have, our home in heaven, what's that going to be like? I don't presume to have all the answers. I don't know what heaven's going to be like. I know anytime the Bible describes it, it describes it as as something more beautiful. It's beyond description. But I know the one that went to prepare it. Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. And I know Ephesians 3 verse 20 tells us that He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above what we ask or think. Another version says he can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Think of that. There's a home waiting for you that is immeasurably greater, immeasurably more wonderful, immeasurably more beautiful than you could ever think Or imagine. That's the home we long for. That's what heaven is. If you're here tonight and you are not a child of God, your citizenship at this point isn't in heaven, why not tonight make that choice? Why not come believing that Jesus is the Son of God, repenting of your sins, confess Him as the Son of God, and then be buried with Him in baptism? where your sins are washed away, where God puts your name in the book of life, and your citizenship is then in heaven. You may be here as a Christian who's allowed the the cares of the world, the things of the world to distract you and to pull you away from God. What better time to come home than tonight? Friends, if we can help you in any way, please come as we stand and as we sing.